time that we are able to come and gather as a church body of believers just to worship you. Uh, Lord, we, um, we know that it's because of Jesus that um, we can come and worship you. Lord, we love you, and, and uh, we pray for our missionaries, the Willises in Spain. I ask that you would continue to help them keep their hearts um, close to you, help them not to grow weary in the ministry that you've given them over there. Uh, I pray that you would help the, the hearts of those individuals in Spain just to be tender and God, they have opportunity to share the gospel and that those who hear would respond. I pray you help our church as we have many decisions to make. God, help us to draw closer to you and give us your wisdom and guidance and humble our hearts and help us to know that uh, we need to lean on you for every decision we make. Uh, we ask you to bless this offering. Um, God, help us to use it to further the ministry that you've given us and the opportunities in the community that we have to share the gospel. We ask all this in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing it together by faith while you stay seated, at least for the first verse. So watch it up there. Let's sing by faith. Think about the mountain. What? 
the mountain in your life. Everybody's got one. Do you believe this thing? I want you to sing it like you believe it. That means that you sing out with confidence that God is a God who keeps his promise. Right? As we sing the last verse. By faith this mountain
Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. May your hearts be sanctified by God's word. Remain standing. I'm leaving singing so you can stay standing. If you don't like it, I don't care. I'm leaving singing. <laughs> oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. All right? So sing it like you know it.
actually David said, Pastor, I want you to sing this one because I want you to sing a powerful song. All right, here we go. How great thou art. You know, we're going to sing all four verses.
introduce our speaker before our special comes on up. Come on up. You guys can get be here. Uh, but you've, how many of you have not had a chance yet to meet Taylor and Maddie? Not had a chance yet to meet Taylor and Maddie. There's only about six or seven of you. You guys have done a good job. Uh, so anyway, uh, Taylor's been here with us all day. Second time to be here. This is his official candidating to uh, be the youth pastor here at the church. And somebody asked me just before the service, what else are you going to do, Pastor John? I don't know. I I'm just being honest. Here's what we do. We bring people in. We find out what their strengths are, what their desires are, and then we kind of start dividing up other things, right? That's what we do. And uh, that's, to me, what makes sense. So, but uh, youth will be his primary, just so you know, if the Lord brings him here. So he'll be preaching for us tonight, and as soon as uh, Brother John's done, Taylor, you come right on up. Brother John, this charity shouldn't be... Uh,
Good evening. You guys can turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is where we're going to be this evening. We're going to go through verses 12 through 17. Verses 12 through 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. And if you're taking notes, or if you're writing anything down, our title for tonight is going to be The Power of Grace. The Power of Grace. When Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town, he was stopped by a policeman and charged with speeding. Graham admitted his guilt, but was told by the officer that he would have to appear in court. The judge asked, guilty or not guilty? When Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that'll be $10, a dollar for every mile you went over the speed limit. Suddenly, the judge recognized the famous minister and said, you have violated the law. The fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. He took a $10 bill from his own wallet, attached it to the ticket, and then took Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. This judge showed grace by paying his penalty. And just like the judge in this story, someone has already paid our penalty. We are guilty, but because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we can receive grace. In this passage, Paul is writing to Timothy, who has just been sent to the church of Ephesus. And when you study kind of what that church was really struggling with, there was a lot of false doctrine, false teaching going on. So this message is a letter of encouragement to help Timothy with his struggles in ministry and to help him enforce sound doctrine that had kind of been lost in that church. I think we can all agree there is some false teaching even going in the churches today. There's a prosperity gospel being preached. There's um, legalism being preached. There's all these different things that are being preached in the church today. So we kind of talked about before, those who came up to me earlier, we talked about, well, what's real? What's the truth? Well, that's what Paul was writing to Timothy about in this passage. This message is a letter of encouragement to help Timothy with his struggles in ministry. Help him know what's true. I think we can all agree there's some false teaching today. The important thing he is trying to bring to his attention is the power of God's grace. The truth of God's grace. That is essentially the beginning, the foundation to everything we will do in our Christian walk is what is true about God's grace. What can we learn about God's grace? And that's what we're going to be preaching on tonight. That's why it is so important to see it correctly to avoid any wrong doctrine. God's grace makes us more like him. And Paul's reminding him by giving his personal testimony as an example. I think many of you have probably been during a, a testimony service or during um, a fellowship have been asked to give your testimony or someone has stood up and given their testimony. That's a really powerful story. That's what Paul is going to do with his own life here. We have to remember who Paul was. When we read first about Paul in Scripture, he was not the great apostle we know him as today. In fact, some people would go as far to say that he was the greatest Christian to ever live outside of Christ himself. We have to remember who he was. He was a persecutor of Christians. God presented his grace to Paul, and only by the grace of God was Paul able to change. Understanding the characteristics of God's grace helps us realize its ability to change us and why we should give our lives to Christ. God wants us to realize the power of his grace and make it an emphasis in our lives. Why is his grace given such an emphasis in our lives as Christians? Well, the passage we'll look at shows three characteristics of God's grace. That is, it changes us, number one. Number two, it gives us purpose. And number three, it points us back to God. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. 
And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundance with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Number one, Christ's grace enables us to change. Verse 12 through 13 is going to show us that. Changes us from what we were is what grace does. It changes from what we were. Verse 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So Paul's testimony of Christ-changing grace. He was a persecutor. We kind of talked about that in our intro. Paul was a persecutor, and we back up. His name was actually Saul. And the testimony of Saul is it's super encouraging. It's, you're taking someone who went around saying, nope, you're speaking blasphemy. You're not doing what Christ or what God says we should do. No, Christ was not the Messiah. You're wrong, and you're going to die because you believe so. We talk about how tough our world is, but... I don't think anybody's coming around saying, nope, you're going to die because you say that Jesus Christ is God. There are other countries, but we are so blessed in our country that we do not have to deal with that today. I was kind of just a rabbit trail, but I'm, I'll, I'll get off that rabbit trail now. Paul was, or Saul at the time, was going through persecuting Christians. That was his reputation. He was known as being a super wise man, knew the scripture, knew the law through and through. But he went through persecuting Christians. That's who Saul was. He was not an apostle. He was not someone who proclaimed the name of Christ. In fact, he persecuted the name of Christ. But now Paul is now known as someone who preaches the name of Christ. So Saul, persecutor of the name of Christ. Paul, preacher for the name of Christ. What a transition there. What a change. What the power of grace did in Saul, Paul's life. Grace has changed some of the worst people in our minds for thinking of some other people, maybe a more modern one, is John Newton. Think about John Newton, the famous hymn writer. He wrote Amazing Grace, probably the most popular, most well-known hymn ever written is Amazing Grace. John Newton, wow, what a writer. But we don't think about what John Newton was before that. John Newton was a slave trader. If we thought about that in today's terms. We think of some of the worst things that someone could do. We maybe think of sex trafficking or human trafficking, or whatever it is. We could maybe think that is the worst thing someone could do. That's kind of what slave trade was. And that's what John Newton, that's what his occupation was. That's what his reputation was, was as a slave trader. But then God's grace comes into John Newton's life and changes his life, and he becomes the writer of Amazing Grace. That's kind of his personal testimony, is Amazing Grace. We're going to Scripture and looking for some scriptural examples. You've got Rahab the harlot in Joshua 2. I mean, her reputation is in her name. We even say that about her today, Rahab the harlot. I don't think anyone just says Rahab. They say Rahab the harlot. Her reputation is automatically with her name. But what do we end up reading about Rahab? 
She's in the line of Christ because God's grace changed her and he was able to do something with her life. The maniac of Gadara in Mark 5, someone who was known for sleeping in the cemeteries, known as cutting himself, known as having chains and breaking out of those chains and not being able to held down and frightening the people. God's grace got a hold of him, got a hold of his life and changed him, and that was a testimony that was able to go and be seen by the people. Paul changed from persecutor to preacher as the result of grace, not the law. And that was the important truth that he was getting across there. Not the law. He was stressing this point to Timothy because of the confusion and false teaching surrounding the ministry. And he, again, he writes in verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Because of God's grace, Paul was able to have a changed reputation and be used by God. Galatians 5, 4 says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from God. That's exactly what Paul was preaching here. Was you think you are justified by the law, but no, it is grace, the gift of God that justifies. Kurt Skelly says this, he says, the law points toward the gospel, but the gospel doesn't point toward the law. I'm going to say that one more time. The law points toward the gospel, but the gospel doesn't point toward the law. The gospel, grace. I've just given you several examples of ways that it has changed people's lives. And many of you in here would say, grace changed my life. Man, if you knew the things that I did in almost like a previous life, you would not want me even in this room. But God's grace, God saw me as someone that he died for. I was talking with some people earlier, and we were talking about different people, and we kind of are a little bit cautious of maybe talking with them, or we kind of get nervous, or we don't really know how to approach those people. But what we fail to think about is when God died on the cross, he had them in mind as well. That grace is also available to that person. Verse 13, it can do the same thing to us, and I know I'm being a strong word here, and our ignorance. Verse 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. It identifies our own personal sinfulness is what grace does. Paul was not proclaiming the name of Christ, but rather spreading blasphemy in his previous life. Well, what does that word blaspheme mean? Well, blaspheme means to speak evil, slanderous, reproachful, railing, abusive. See, when we think of blasphemy or taking the Lord's name in vain, we kind of just isolate it to saying OMG or oh my, I'm not going to say it. That's kind of what we isolate it to. But blasphemy can also be in their actions, the way they're living. It's not just a speech thing, it's an actionable thing. Blasphemy can be an action. It can be hypocrisy, it can be heresy. And blasphemy is what has plagued many churches today and has caused many people to be turned away. Because people are living in hypocrisy. Some people, I can tell you, number of people who have said in their own personal testimony, they've said, I will never go to church. I will never go to church. Because I was at a church and they were not acting very Christian-like. The world knows how a Christian should act. They're going to be watching you. And they're going to say, you know what? They, they weren't even acting like Christians. They were acting like such and such. There was no difference between me and them. What would we call that? We call them hypocrites. And if we ask the world today, okay, how would you describe a church? I would bet that probably one of those top words would be hypocrisy, which is a shame. Again, I'm not saying that's true of every church, but there are going to be a lot of people who are turned away because 
Christian isn't living like Christ. So I encourage you to live like Christ. Share that grace that's done an amazing work in your life. Paul realized his status in the eyes of God mattered more than his status in the eyes of man. Because he was doing it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was an educated man in the eyes of man, but still ignorant in the eyes of God. It's important to have a good reputation, be trustworthy, educate yourself, learn about different fields of study. But our true impact is not going to come from what we have done. Our reputation does not matter because it doesn't change anyone. The reason is it's not about what we do, but what Christ has done. Live like Christ. Show them what Christ has done in your life, not what you've done. One of the best illustrations I can think about this, when I was growing up, we would spend a little bit of time with my grandparents. So their house was just down the road from where my parents worked. So if my parents had to stay late or my dad had to run a late service call or whatever it was, we would go over to my grandparents' house. And like every kid, we loved chocolate milk. But my grandma never had chocolate milk in the fridge. So it was always weird to me. And then she would say, all right, who wants chocolate milk? I know you don't have chocolate milk in the fridge, so what do you mean? She says, okay, I'll get you some chocolate milk. And she would, me and my two brothers would be sitting at the table, and she'd hand us all a glass of white regular milk. I'm like, Grandma, this isn't chocolate milk. And she's like, oh, hold on. Here, take this spoon. This here is a magic spoon. And if you stir it in that milk, it'll turn into chocolate milk. Grandma, you are crazy. This is a regular spoon. I'm pretty sure we have tons of these in the drawer. Like, you are crazy. So we would stir it in the milk. We'd stir it in the milk. And what would happen? Well, it would start to change. The white would get a little more brown, a little more brown, and it would look like chocolate milk. So it looks like chocolate milk. Now time for the the taste test. So we'd drink that chocolate milk. It, It tastes like chocolate milk. What, what, what did you do? This was white milk just a couple seconds ago. Well, there was a change, not because of something I did, but because of what someone else had done for me. My grandma had put some chocolate syrup at the bottom of that milk, and as you mixed it in, that flavor would mix in there. So get what I'm saying here. There was a change, not because of something I did, but because of what someone else had done for me. The changing power of grace is amazing to see in each of our lives. It doesn't matter what we have done or how short we think we come from attaining it. It is not dependent on what we do, but on what he has done for us. However, the state of change is not where God intends us to stay. God does not just intend us to get saved, accept that gift of grace, and join him in heaven. That's not the only purpose he has for us. He has a purpose for each of us after that change has been made. So number one was Christ's grace enables us to change. Number two, Christ's grace enables us to have purpose. Enables us to have purpose. We'll move on to verse 14 and 15. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. He doesn't change us, but he also wants to use us. He uses us. He doesn't just move on from us when we are changed. He doesn't just say, okay, I'll, I'll see you when you die. I know that's kind of a, a weird way to say it, but that's essentially what some churches have done today, is they'll get people into the church, you know, they, however way they do it, and they give them a gospel presentation, and that's it. They get saved, they join the church, and that's it. They just leave them. And what ends up happening is when something like a tragedy comes into their life, they don't know what to do. So 
how do we combat that? It's by giving them scripture, by giving them truth, by discipling them. That's why discipleship is, discipleship is so important today. That's why it's a huge burden on Pastor John's heart. That's why it's a huge burden on my heart. It's because I know that is the next step after salvation. Salvation is a one-time thing. It is accepting that free gift that's already been done for you. Discipleship is that next step. That's our purpose, is to be a disciple of Christ. He doesn't just move on from us when we are changed. That grace is exceeding abundant, is how it is described in this verse. What does that mean? Well, mistakes don't stop his grace from flowing in us. You don't have to get saved every time you make a mistake, every time you sin. That grace is exceeding abundant. It is abundantly available to us. We almost see it as water that when you fill a cup and if you keep filling it and if you just have a cup and a sink and you fill it with water and it gets past that brim it is exceeding abundant and it just overflows that's how grace is pictured here god came to save the world not to condemn it jesus came into the world to minister to others not just do miracles these miracles pointed others to him so when christ would go around and he would perform the the feeding of the five thousand was that just to look at him like, man, look what Jesus just did. It wasn't just to do that. Jesus was God, but it was, he was doing that to point them back to the Father. That's what grace is doing. Grace is pointing people back to the Father. That's why miracles were used by Christ to not just validate his message, but to point them back to the Father. These miracles pointed others to him, but that was not the reason he came. It was to reflect them back to his heavenly Father. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the gift of grace. He gave his life a ransom for many. Just kind of another rabbit trail. But I truly believe that is why we don't have miracles available to us today. Our world is so, we've talked about what is real, what is, you know, fake. If we had someone who was up here performing miracles, this auditorium would be packed full. But a majority of those people would only see those miracles and see the man performing them. Not the man that he's performing them on behalf of and gave him those powers, those abilities to perform. We are such a, a strange creature, humans, that we, we see something and we struggle to believe it if we don't see it. We want to see it with our own eyes. But if someone says, oh, I'm going to tell you about God, and they're performing miracles, we're only going to see the man performing the miracles. But that's why Jesus was different. Jesus was God himself. He had that ability. He gave his life a ransom for many. He was that gift of grace that was available to us. And because of that grace, we can have a new purpose. We can become a disciple Oftentimes when a story is told of someone being miraculously cured of their cancer or there being no sign of disease in their body, we use the word unexplainable. We do that because it is unexplainable to man, but the fact is it is never unexplainable to God. The change in someone's life can be unexplainable or we think it impossible for them to turn around and change their life for God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with the power of God's grace. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
of whom I am chief. God shows his grace by using people who used to be the worst of sinners. I hate to tell you this, but even if you grew up in church, you went to a Christian school, you had a godly family, you are still considered the worst of sinners. You are just as in need of that grace as, I'm going to be very blunt with you, the homosexual man who lives down the street from you. Makes us a little awkward, but we are just as in need. We are the worst of sinners. We are in need of that. That's exactly how Paul saw himself, as the worst of sinners. Paul realized no matter his status, he still needed grace. Paul was a very well-educated man. Paul was discipling under people. Paul was, he knew the law. He knew the word, but he was still in need of God's grace. God is faithful and worthy. It says in this passage, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. I feel like that can be applied to our God. He is faithful and he is worthy. He expresses it with a famous saying or poem of the day, which is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We are ignorant in our sin. Paul tells us that. We think we are something, but without him, we are nothing. I'm going to say that one more time. We think we are something, but without him, we are nothing. He wants to use us and teach us. If we picture a father and son, a father who knows how to work on a car, knows how to, a simple thing like roll up an extension cord, knows how to mow the lawn, all these different things, and he takes the time to teach his son, who's only 10 years old. He's still, he hasn't even learned about algebra yet. And he takes his son and he says, hey, let me teach you how to wash the car correctly. Let me teach you how to roll up an extension cord. Let me teach you how to mow the lawn. Why, why would the father do that? He's, he's even taking more time than it would have been to just do it himself. Why is God doing that? Why is God wanting to use us? It would take him much less time to just minister himself. Why? He gives us purpose. That grace is an amazing power that changes us, gives us purpose. God wants to use us and teach us so much more by giving us a purpose. All we need to do is put our faith in him. God did not come to seek out righteous people. He came to find sinners and bring them to him. If we look at the people that Jesus fellowshiped with, it was not the people that you're like, oh, he got the preacher boy award. Or she was the best teacher, she was the best girl in youth group. Those are not the people that Jesus fellowshiped with. He accepted them, and they are just as in need of grace, but Jesus fellowshiped with the tax collectors, fellowshiped with the pagan people. Why? Because they are the worst of sinners. We are the worst of sinners. We are in need of that grace. That is the power of grace. It can change even the worst of sinners. God could just do it himself, but like a loving father, he wants to use us and has a purpose for each of us. When we study the word of God, we notice there is never a checklist, a number of prerequisite requirements, or any such thing in order for you to be used by him. All he asks is to accept his free gift of grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
This grace God offers to us allows us to see change and purpose in our lives. However, that change and purpose are to point us back to him so we might be more like him. Last point, number three. Christ's grace enables us to pattern after him. Verse 16 through 17. We'll read that one more time. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Well, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ's grace enables us to pattern after him. He's sharing grace with us. We should share that same thing with others. We should be patterning our lives after Christ so that others can see it. We are to be ministering for God. Ministry is what God saves us for. I'm not just talking about full-time ministry. I'm not just preaching to people who want to be called into ministry. I'm talking about your life is a ministry. Your family is your ministry, dads. Your kids at school are your ministry teachers. That is your ministry. Your life, the opportunities that you have been given, the people in your life are going to be a lot easier to reach for you than it is for me. That is your ministry. Those relationships that you have, those are your people. Those are your ministry. Those are the people that God wants you to pattern your life after him and share it with them. This is the cause that he's talking about in verse 16. Howbeit for this cause, Ephesians 3.8, again, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's not just talking about as preachers, as pastors. He's talking about as Christians. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. The persecutor of Christians, that's who this grace was given to. That I should preach among the Gentiles. I must preach to the world. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That grace is exceeding abundant. His unsearchable rich, those unsearchable riches of Christ, this is the pattern we should be following after. Follow his pattern with our ministry. What does that word pattern mean? Well, that word pattern is part of being long-suffering. For us to follow that pattern, we have to be long-suffering. What does that word long-suffering in that verse mean? Well, it means to, be, to have patience, forbearance, slowness in avenging wrongs. That means, wives, being patient with your husbands, like I mentioned, when they don't put dishes in the sink. That means being patient with your kids when they make a mistake. Correcting them, but having patience with them. They are children. They're going to make mistakes. Having patience. What does it mean to be long-suffering? Well, life, ministry, is a people business. And people like to push your buttons. We have to be patient with them. We are called to be long-suffering so what is the pattern of our lives to be? Strong's definition of the word pattern is a sketch for imitation. That's a pretty good definition, a sketch for imitation. So what does that mean? We're not just patterning our lives, just saying, okay, I'm going to be like that. No, we are to imitate Christ. Imitation. 
What does that mean? Well, this is our discipleship. This is where discipleship comes in. When we study the culture of the New Testament and what becoming a disciple was like, it was completely different than we think about just the local church discipleship even today. Discipleship was saying, okay, I have this teacher. So it would be, for example, if I went to Pastor John, I said, okay, I'm going to be a disciple of Pastor John. I'm going to live with him. I'm going to eat at the same time as he does every day, eat the same foods. I'm going to learn his mannerisms and copy those. I'm going to learn the things that he believes, and those are going to be what I believe. I'm going to learn to teach like he does, all of these different things. What am I doing? I'm becoming an imitation of him. That's what discipleship was in the New Testament. They're becoming an imitation of that person. So then when that person would move on, or pass from, they would go on and continue the teachings of that person, becoming a new rabbi in that New Testament, becoming a teacher for what that person's teachings were. That's what we are called to do. We are to become disciples of Christ. Jesus Christ is no longer on earth. We are called to be a pattern after him and become a disciple, someone who is imitating Christ every single day. We should go to bed praying, God, help me to be more like you tomorrow. Waking up in the morning, God, help me to be more like you today for my wife. Help me to be more like Christ. Help us to be more like a godly couple praying with your wife. Help me to be more like a Christ-like parent. Help me to be more like Christ. Help me to imitate him more today. So what is the pattern of our life to be? A sketch for imitation. John Mark Comer writes, We are all disciples. The question isn't, am I a disciple? It's who or what am I a disciple of? Are you a disciple after your job? Are you a disciple after your family, even? What he's saying is our life can be patterned after a job, a hobby, even our families. And I think there are, there are some times when parents struggle to almost be a disciple or have their priorities based around their family, based around their kids, where you know, having the kids involved in sports or having them involved in an activity, they, they have this on Sunday, we can't make it to church. Because the priorities is not on Christ and being a, a godly person, a godly Christian first, but after their kids. God calls us to be a disciple after him, to be a godly Christian, to be someone who is imitating him daily. So what is the pattern? To point others to him and to point others to his grace. Brock Purdy, who's the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, who's going to be playing in tonight's Super Bowl, he said this, my identity can't be in football. It can't be in the things of this world. It's got to be in him. Why point others to him? Why should our identity be in Christ? Because he's whom our grace came from in the first place. Verse 17, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's expressing how great God and his grace is by describing him to us. King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, that's someone we're following after. That's someone worth imitating. He is our source of grace, and we need to treat him like it. We are bought with a price. Give him honor and glory forever and ever. 
It should bring two things to our mind when we think about our God and his grace. I want you to write these two things down if you're taking notes or anything. Number one, gratitude. And number two, excitement. Number one, gratitude for what he has done for us. Number two, excitement for what he has waiting for us. We often think that God cannot use us, but that simply is not true. It's not because of what we are, but because of what he can do. Our works are as filthy rags. But the grace of God is able to change us. Our reputation, our works, all of that as filthy rags. First, his grace enables us to see change in our lives. Our past does not matter to God. All that matters is that we give ourselves to him. Second, his grace enables us to have purpose with our lives. God doesn't just want us to change want to change us because he has a purpose for each of us. He wants us he wants to use us to bring others to him. He wants to use us to bring others to him. And finally, his grace allows us to pattern after him and be more like him, to become a disciple of him, to be a sketch of imitation, to imitate Christ every single day. We must realize our need for Christ and his grace. After realizing our need, we just have to accept it. The cost has already been paid. After receiving this grace, we should give our lives over to him. Give our life over to him so he can use us. God is willing to use us, and all he wants is for us to dedicate our lives to his ministry. We must make it a point to hold to this truth of grace. And I challenge you today. Our daily ministry is not for our own gain, but to point back to Christ so others might become more like him. I'm going to say that one more time. Our daily ministry, our daily life, is not for our own gain, but to point others back to Christ so that they too might become more like him. I challenge each of you today not to just accept his grace, but to be changed by it and share it with others. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this time that we've been able to come and look at your word and just look over and learn from the testimony of Paul and the amazing grace, the amazing change that you did in his life. Pray you just be with us that we would realize that we too are in need of that grace, that we too are the worst of sinners, but that grace is exceeding abundant. No matter what we've done in our lives, that your grace is available to us. That grace is to be something we should pattern our lives after. That grace is something we should be sharing with others. Pray that you would help us to take this message. Pray that you would help us to take the truths that are in your word and apply it to our lives. Pray that you just be with us today as we're starting another week, that we would be an encouragement to those around us, that we would be in your word every single day, that we'd be taking the truths in your word and just applying them to our lives and applying that grace to our lives every single day. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. Pray that you just be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. fashion, surrender uh, more of your life to the Lord as we're going from experiencing the change of grace to living